Life Finds a Way. A very famous Dr. Ian Malcolm once said that in a famous documentary of the events that took place on an island off the coast of Costa Rica called Jurassic Park. That quote, very applicable to today's episode. We're going to dive deep into one of man's greatest discoveries in antibiotics. We're also going to dive deep into the impending doom of our species, an apocalypse-causing agent that is antibiotic resistance. That's all coming on today's Carpool Chemistry. Welcome back, guys, on this week's Carpool Chemistry. So, like I said in the intro, uh, this week's episode is on antibiotics and antibiotic resistance. And I'm pretty excited for it because I uh, actually have a background and it's something that I deal with all the time. So, uh, something that a lot of us deal with all the time, but me specifically because I do some studies into it. So, a little bit of an overview of today's episode. Um, we're going to get a little bit of a backstory on bacteria, evolution, and uh, why this is important in the first place. Um, we're going to talk about what antibiotics do, uh, what kinds are there, why they don't hurt us. We're going to talk about antibiotic resistance. We're going to talk about the causes of it. Um, we're going to talk about what are some things that we can do to prevent further antibiotic resistance and yeah we're gonna we're gonna get into it guys um i'm probably gonna get into a little bit of my research um because like i said i i do do research into i don't research antibiotics but i i'm in the field of uh pathogenesis of bacteria and so we're we're trying to fix this problem of antibiotic resistance so we're going to talk about it um it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. So guys, let's get into where this all started. Uh, we're going to have to go back a little bit. About 3 billion years ago, uh, when life first started to evolve on this earth. Um, and ever since, there's been a war going on uh, between all life, pretty much. Uh, bacteria started to evolve around this time. And... Bacteria have been creating compounds to kill each other, to keep each other from eating each other, um, and to keep each other from invading themselves. Uh, and this war that's gone on, it's now between all life on Earth and bacteria. Um, we have ways to fight off bacteria, and... Plants have ways to fight off bacteria and other uh, pathogens. Molds have ways to fight off bacteria. Pretty much every single living thing, including bacteria. Bacteria have immune systems, actually. We'll get, them into, get into it one day when we do a CRISPR episode. But even bacteria have immune systems. Um, they're not the same as ours, but they are an immune system. Um, so there's this war that's been going on and like I said in the beginning life finds a way um, we'll one day do an episode on evolution as well um, but life like I said life finds a way bacteria have been trying and succeeding and failing and evolving to be able to survive um, plants will uh, produce a compound that'll kill bacteria. Bacteria, the ones that are have a mutation that allow them to survive that compound or or a protein or certain environment, those are the ones that get to pass on their genetic material. And that's that's how it worked. It's like I feel like there's this stigmatism about evolution that it's about the survival of the strongest or the smartest. No, it's the survival of the fittest. And by fittest, like I said, it doesn't mean strongest or smartest. It means 
the best adapted, the most well fit for that environment. That's that's what survival of the fittest means. It doesn't mean like fit as in the gym. It means fit as in like a snug fit. Like they are the best adapted to that environment. Um, like I said, there's this war that's been going on for billions of years. And uh, before antibiotics, um, bacteria we're we're the number one killers of people uh pretty much everyday life prior to antibiotics was trying not to get an infection because if you got an infection you were probably going to die think of uh like the black plague the black plague is caused by a bacteria called yersinia that now is very easily treated by antibiotics that's why it doesn't you know, that's why there's not plague outbreaks all the time. There are some, but um, tuberculosis used to kill millions of people all the time. Not so much anymore because of antibiotics. All sorts of uh, sexually transmitted diseases are now, uh, can be fixed by antibiotics. Pretty much before antibiotics, if you fell into a puddle wrong or you know, fell at all. If it was on the, if you were unlucky, you died. You you had to be a lot more careful back in the day. And you know, it's <laughs> that's why we're at where we're at today. Um. So we're gonna go over some of the history of antibiotics really quick. Um. So we're gonna start the history of antibiotics. We have to go back to when bacteria were first discovered. Um, in 1674, a guy with the last name of Leeuwenhoek, uh, he invented microscopes and discovered the first microorganisms. He discovered uh, protists and then he discovered actual bacteria. Um, and he called them animacules. They are little animals. Then, uh, in 1762, comes around what's called the germ theory of disease. So, before the germ theory of disease, the theory of what caused disease was called Gallon's miasma theory. Gallon was a Greek uh, physician, and his theory was that rotting corpses let off this like toxic gas and that toxic gas would like float around and cause disease and he's not complete I mean he's wrong but I mean he, he was headed in the right direction germ theory of disease is that obviously germs cause diseases whether they're bacteria viruses fungus protists uh, or, or some other parasite. That's what's causing diseases. Not uh, just some toxic gas that's let off from uh, a rotting corpse. It's microorganisms that are living on uh, corpses and in puddles and in, you know, every single aspect of our lives. So 1762 germ theory of diseases uh, is postulated. And then it wasn't very well accepted until... Uh, Till later on, about the mid eight, mid nineteenth uh, century. Sorry, I had to do my math for a second. Uh, then eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties, we have a little bit further uh, development in that scientists are starting to notice that bacteria don't grow in the presence of molds. This is further expounded upon by Ernest uh, Duchenne. That, and he notes there's an antagonism between molds and microbes. And uh, so he's starting to notice that these that microbes and molds just they, they don't mesh together. And it's kind of uh, so he, he starts to realize that there's like a compound that's being produced that's allowing the molds to fight off the microbes and, and, and vice versa. 
uh, what's kind of sad and kind of ironic is that Ernest dies in 1912 of tuberculosis, something that is cured now by antibiotics. Something that he was studying could have saved his life. The guy did not live very long. He was like in his 30s. 1907, a guy by the name of Paul Ehrlich, he discovers salversan uh, and dies. It's now called arsifenamine, which uh, is discovered to kind of be an, it's an antibiotic. 1928 is when penicillin is postulated to exist by Alexander Fleming. Uh, he noted that, so he, he was growing bacteria on a, a Petri dish and he got some mold on the Petri dish and noticed that the mold, uh, like I said, it was, well, like other scientists had noted, that the mold was inhibiting the growth of the, of the bacteria. And so he postulated that the mold has to be producing a compound that is killing the bacteria. And so, like, he, he gets credited with, with uh, the idea of penicillin. And then later on, uh, penicillin's actually uh, discovered and purified. In 1932, Gerhard Domack discovers sulfamide antibiotics. So, uh, in 1932 was the first time they had uh, created, like, he discovered this antibiotic and it was able to synthetically create it in a lab. 1942, penicillin, uh, what Alexander Fleming postulated to exist, finally purified. Interesting thing is, you're in the middle of World War II, uh, Allied forces kind of keep it a secret and only give it two Allied Force soldiers so that uh, they're the only ones getting better. After World War II, it becomes uh, marketed and produced, and uh, a lot of people stop dying of things. 1950s and 1970s is considered the golden age of antibiotics. People were studying antibiotics like crazy. They're... Uh, they're discovering all these new different classes of antibiotics. And then we finally get to uh, 1987 when the last antibiotic uh, class to be found was found until 2017. So there's a 30-year gap where new antibiotics were not uh, created. So uh, with that... Let's kind of go over some of the different kinds of antibiotics. Um, they're basically an antibiotic. They're classed into the chemical makeup of them as well as what they do to a bacteria. Basically, in a uh, very summarized, simplified version, antibiotics jack up the machinery and the different processes that a bacteria needs to survive. Um, like, for example, penicillin uh, messes up a bacteria's ability to build a cell wall. So bacteria are a cell, and they produce this like tough uh, outer coating called a cell wall. And penicillin, it's doesn't allow that cell wall synthesis to occur. This, the bacteria can't produce a cell wall, and so it dies. And there's actually most antibiotics fall into this class of inhibiting cell wall synthesis. Um, there's other antibiotics that mess with the metabolism of bacteria, uh, specifically with folic acid, uh, that's very essential to to life. Um, there's also uh, other antibiotics that mess with uh, what's called the cytoplasmic, cytoplasmic membrane. So inside the cell wall, there's a, a, a fatty acid membrane, like, and, that, and that's what actually surrounds all of our cells. And these mess up the, like, the structure of these, uh, of these membranes and allow more things to get in and out of the 
of the bacteria and and just jack it up in general. Then you have uh, you have a, an entire class of antibiotics that mess up the ability of the bacteria to produce its own proteins. So uh, they bind to what's called a ribosome. Ribosomes are they're little protein factories, and there's two parts to them in bacteria. There's what's called a 50s and a 30s uh, subunit of ribosomes. So they there's a bigger part and a smaller part. Some of the antibiotics bind to the bigger part. Some of them bind to the smaller part. Um, ones that bind to the smaller part you might have heard of. Tetracycline, streptomycin, gentamicin, canamycin. Those bind to the smaller part. Um, the ones that bind to the bigger part, um, you might have also heard of. Erythromycin, chlorophenicol, things like that. That's your uh, 50S inhibitors. Then uh, you have antibiotics that uh, they inhibit the bacteria's ability to read its own DNA and then to so to eventually produce uh, protein, and that's your streptovaricins and uh, rifampin. Then you have some that uh, met further mess with that process and then you have ones that uh, just mess up the DNA structure uh, enzymes of the bacteria and those are your uh, quinolones so that's all of the different kinds of uh, antibiotic and and kind of how they work I, I don't want to go into too much detail about how these antibiotics work but uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting to note so that uh, these antibiotics they're messing up the different organs and stuff they're not the organs the organelles and just the different cellular processes that are inside of bacteria uh, we're kind of doing to them what they end up doing to us when they cause an infection that when we get an infection, it messes with, like, your liver or whatever, you know. That's, they mess up our organs. We're kind of doing the same type of thing to them, where we're shutting down one of their processes, and it ends up killing them in general. So, that's uh, that's a little bit of how, like, the, the history of antibiotics and the a little bit of a mechanism of how they work and what they're working on on a bacteria and while we're here one of the things that uh, a lot of people worry about is what antibiotics are doing to us now I've talked about and told you about what these antibiotics are doing to a bacteria and it can sound scary um, but you have to remember these things are specific to bacteria and bacteria while while their cells are kind of similar to ours they're not they're not the same so they don't bind to things that bind uh, they don't they don't bind to things in our cells they don't really even necessarily make it into our cells per se so they're not going to harm us because we're we don't have the same uh, types of cellular components we they're not going to bind to our cellular components like they do to a bacteria. So antibiotics are very safe, very specific to bacteria, and, and they're designed to be that way. They wouldn't have made it onto the market if they weren't safe. Um, and there's, there's different allergies and things, like you have penicillin allergies and things like that. That's, that's a different case where our, it's not bad for you, but your body's overreacting to uh, the structure of penicillin and thinks that it's uh, a foreign invader. So that's a little bit about the antibiotic side. Now uh, we're going to kind of get into some other stuff. The next thing I want to get into is antibiotic resistance. Now I want to preface this with saying 
antibiotics is the greatest, well, I wouldn't say it's the greatest, but it is definitely in the top five greatest discoveries of mankind. Millions upon millions, maybe even billions of lives have been saved because of antibiotics. Um, they truly are one of the greatest discoveries of all time. But, uh, like humans do, we tend to take advantage of things and overuse things and ultimately make it uh, out to be a bad thing. So, uh, like I said in the beginning, again, like I said, this, this applies. Uh, life finds a way. So, uh, 1943 is when uh, Allied soldiers start receiving supplies for penicillin. 1948, penicillin-resistant staphylococcus becomes a global pandemic. So, not five years after one of the greatest discoveries of all time, uh, bacteria evolve to be able to resist it. Like I said, uh, and, and this is probably partially due just to a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding of how antibiotics were working and the dangers and some of the, and just some of the risks that come with using an agent like penicillin. So, uh, one of the next factors that factors into antibiotic resistance, 1953 antibiotics are introduced into animal feed in Europe. And I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, 1959, to combat penicillin-resistant staphylococcus, methicillin uh, is invented. And then 1960... The first strains of methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, MRSA as it's often called, starts to emerge. So, uh, it takes a year from the invention of methicillin to uh, bacteria being able to evolve to uh, be resistant to methicillin, which is scary that bacteria can evolve that fast. Um, and then we kind of skip ahead to uh, to present day where lots of bacteria are starting to develop this uh, resistance to the antibiotics we have and part of that is like I said uh, the there was like this golden age of antibiotic discovery and then it just kind of stopped because we were like oh we got it we're good um, and kind of just the money went away uh, today in today's world, there's there's not a lot of money uh, in antibiotic uh, research. I mean, there's definitely some, but not in comparison to like stat research or you know like all the research money is going into cancer, statin, like like life diseases like diabetes. Uh, and cancer and, and, and just things like that. So there's there's not a lot of attention because we're like, uh, yeah, we got we got antibiotics, we're good. There's not a lot being uh, a lot of lot not as much money in comparison uh, being thrown around. So uh, one of the the things that's going on. Um, so I said I said we'd talk about the 1953 antibiotics introduced to animal feed in Europe. So, there's a lot of different things that are contributing to antibiotic resistance. Uh, and one of the main ones is overuse. And I think all of us are to blame. Uh, and like I said, it's kind of like a... It's just an ignorance thing that started this with... Uh, with this overuse and overprescribing of antibiotics, um, to the point that even still today, there's some of it going on where uh, cattle farmers and cattle ranchers they're they're feeding their uh, their livestock low doses of antibiotics, 
and this is a major contributor to antibiotic resistance. Um, and I, I want to say this is this is mostly livestock that's being produced for meat. And I will also say that there's there's not really any antibiotics that's making it to your food, guys. It's being broken down within the animal fairly quick. Um, but what is going on is these low doses of antibiotics are creating antibiotic resistant bacteria. And how antibiotic resistant bacteria are created is the antibiotics kill a lot of the bacteria, but there's always a couple that it's not killing. Um, especially if you don't finish your your round of antibiotics. So whenever the doctor gives you some antibiotics, you make sure you take every pill, every like don't you don't miss uh, like pill time. You you take those pills and you do it every single time you're supposed to. Uh, because we run the risk of creating antibiotic-resistant bacteria. So, um, like I said, you're not killing all of the bacteria, and the ones that survive are resistant. Um, and so if you're giving low doses to your livestock, and the reason why they're giving them low doses is, one, kind of a preventative measure. Um, a lot of these uh, kind of factory farm uh, things there. These animals are in pretty close quarters, so diseases spread fast. So they figured, oh, we'll give them some low dose of antibiotics that'll keep diseases down. Um, also, low doses of antibiotics have been shown to increase uh, mass gain of these uh, animals that are going to be producing meat. So there's kind of like a plus plus for these uh, these animal producers, these these uh, meat producers, in that they're keeping their herds healthy and they're they're getting higher mass yields. So they didn't realize at the time they were making antibiotic resistant uh, bacteria, and it wasn't till it started really being a problem that anything was done about it um, and now there's a limit but there's still not a ban on uh, prescribing low doses of antibiotics in in uh, feed for these animals and so it's it's still creating a problem uh, so yeah that's 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 one of the issues that we have another thing uh, like I, I kind of mentioned, that's creating these antibiotic-resistant bacteria is the over-prescribing of them. Doctors are giving, uh, like, your Z-Packs, they're giving them out like candy. Not as much anymore. Um, medical schools and, and uh, hospitals are really cracking down on over-prescribing uh, over antibiotics because doctors were giving antibiotics for things that didn't need antibiotics. Uh, penicillin and a Z-Pack is not going to help you if you have a virus. Uh, they're, they're antibacterial, they're not antiviral. There are anti. Now, before we get into how we can further the research, I do want to get into the dipstick of the day. Now, um, usually for dipstick of the day, I go on the internet and I try to fight people on Facebook or, or YouTube or whatever, but uh, this time, I, I'll admit, I, I couldn't find a whole lot of people to fight with me. I tried a few times. Uh, nobody really wanted to mess with me, or I, you know, for some what, whatever reason, just it just never happened. So, I'm going to share a story um, from back in my undergrad days. So, I don't know if I've said this before, but I wrestled in college. I, I wrestled at Utah Valley University. And uh, as a wrestler, 
bacterial infections are a big deal. Uh, a staph infection can mess up your season. Uh, it, it can do a lot of a lot of damage to your wrestling time because you're not allowed to be on the mat when you have an infection like that. And and these infections are pretty rampant through wrestling, and a lot of stuff's been done to try to curb those infections, whether through uh, mat cleaners or different soaps, um, all sorts of things. Uh, our, our coaches even bought an ozone machine that was supposed to produce ozone, and ozone is toxic to bacteria, and that, that was supposed to, uh, to kill them, even though I was very skeptical of it. Um, coaches, if you're listening to this, uh, yeah, I, I think your ozone machine <laughs> isn't doing anything, but, uh, actually hurting, hurting, like, making things rust, and, and actually, uh, little side note here, but this ozone machine, it would kick on in the middle of the night, and we'd come in in the mornings, and it, the ozone, you, it was like just, it was like a cloud was in the wrestling room, and, uh, They'd make us wrestle in it right after, and I hadn't aired out yet. It was super early in the morning, and we'd be working out, and it hurt your lungs so bad. I come to look up at like the ozone's effects on you know later, and it can do a lot of damage to your lungs because uh, it's just this uh, this extremely oxidative molecule that can it just jacks up your lungs, and so uh, kind of little tangent there. Uh, but anyways, so I did this like little experiment and, and to preface it, one of the ways they try, my, my team tried to combat, uh, bacterial infections is they would make us, uh, use what was called, uh, chlorhexidine gluconate. Uh, I can't remember what the what the the term what what the brand of it was called um i can see it in my mind but I, it's just like this pink foamy stuff anyways um they would make us like use this body wash rub our eyes and crap with you know like wash your face and stuff and this stuff is it is effective it uh it's actually what doctors use before they go into surgery recently I, I thought it was kind of funny recently my wife had a c-section and that you know the doctor before he goes in to cut my wife open he's scrubbing with the same stuff that I used to shower with after wrestling practices and uh, the thing is about this stuff is like I said it's super super uh, super like Effective. I, I actually did a little uh, experiment where I was in microbiology at the time, so I got some plates from microbiology, and I swabbed the mats before and after they used the mat cleaner, and then I swabbed my uh, teammates' foreheads before and after they used this chlorhexidine gluconate. And uh, it was actually crazy. Uh, the mat cleaner didn't have much effect at all on the amount of bacteria. I'm assuming it was staph just by the way it grew. I didn't do any tests on it though. Um, there was there was lots of staph still on the mat. The, the mat cleaner didn't really help. Um, but the chlorhexidine killed everything. Nothing grew on that plate. And that's uh, a good thing and it's actually a really bad thing. Um, and so, the dipstick of the day today is pretty much, uh, is pretty much me and and the rest of the UVU uh, wrestling team for using that stuff because not only so when you're using uh, antibiotics, one of the major things with it is it's it's not just killing the good bacteria, it's ki I mean it's not just killing the bad bacteria, it's also killing the good bacteria. So you're not just you're doing as much harm as you are good unless unless you actually need it um, I I don't think bacterial infections uh, lessened any 
from using chlorhexidine and gluconate after practice. And that's because you were killing all the good bacteria that's on your skin. You have good bacteria on your skin. You have good bacteria inside your intestinal tracts. Okay. And, and you need those bacteria to function. Bacteria uh, in your like intestinal tract, that's what actually gives you a lot of the vitamins that we can't produce by ourselves. These bacteria produce them for us. Um, so you, you can do just as much harm as good if you kill all the bacteria. And it's very important for like doctors to kill all the bacteria on their hands because they literally are going to have their hands and arms inside of people. You know, you, you can get gangrene really fast or, you know, if you, if you get sepsis, that kills people all the time. But, uh, as a normal functioning human, you don't, you don't need to kill all of the bacteria on your skin. And like I said, it didn't decrease bacterial infections, at least from what I observed on the wrestling team. And that was because they were killing the good bacteria. And so their immune system was lower. When you kill the good bacteria, bad bacteria have an opportunity, like you're going to come in contact with bad bacteria and then they're going to have an opportunity to grow. Um, bacteria are what's called opportunistic uh, organisms where they, they grow where they can and they, you know, they take, they take uh, advantage of that ability and they reproduce really, really fast. So uh, when you kill all the bacteria on your skin, it actually hurts you and, and makes your immune system weaker because the good bacteria are part of a good immune system. Um, and, and it's just starting to come out how, how important good bacterial flora on your body and in your body is for your overall health. So dipstick of the day this week or today, uh, me and the UVU wrestling team, we were kind of dipsticks of the day so there you have that so guys what's next with how we're like how are we going to fix this problem how are we going to attack this problem of antibiotic resistance so I think one of the major things that we have to do when we look at this is that we have to think and have to study how these bacteria are becoming resistant and what mechanisms uh, are they using to avoid uh, being killed by antibiotics? So there's four ways that bacteria can become, well, not how they can become resistant, but how they are resistant. Um, one of the ways that they can become resistant is they change the target site of uh, the drug or the antibiotic. So. Um, if the antibiotic is to is going to bind to something and prevent something else from binding, they kind of change that pocket a little bit so that that molecule can't quite bind to uh, its target. Um, another thing that they can do is uh, they can alter the drug. Um, in the case of penicillin and penicillin resistance, uh, Staphylococcus aureus. Uh, produces a uh, produces a protein that actually uh, modifies penicillin and makes it inactive. Um, another one is they stop the uptake of the drug, or they uh, they pump. They have uh, antibiotic pumps where they pump the drugs back out into uh, into the surrounding uh, fluid. So that's another type of antibiotic resistance. And then the last one, actually the last, so the last one is they just, uh, they completely avoid the pathway. Like I told you about those uh, antibiotics that don't allow the bacteria to metabolize certain uh, molecules like folic acid. They just completely avoid that pathway and uh, get their folic acid another way or use another uh use another molecule that's similar. So now that we kind of understand how they're becoming antibiotic resistance, what can we do to prevent further antibiotic resistance or at least slow 
down the resistance. Um, these evolutions always, always going to exist, and it's going to keep pushing these bacteria to develop more ways to survive. Um, there's, there's not a drug that we're going to make that's just like, you know what? That's, that's it. Like, you know, there's, there's bacteria that can survive literally anything: radiation, temperatures, pH, uh, like acidity. They can survive without water. They can survive a vacuum. They can survive. There's bacteria in every niche. There is. So what we have to do is, number one, we have to be prudent with the antibiotics we have. We can't just be, you know, handing them out like candy. Um, because they can become, like, like you guys, if you look back to that, uh, that time that timeline, it was like a year before, you know, methicillin, methicillin resistance became a thing. So we can't just be handing them out. They, they need to be reserved for desperate times and when they're absolutely needed uh, and, and reserved for people that have, you know, uh, immunodeficiencies. Uh, so that's a major thing is, so guys, if, if you don't absolutely need an antibiotic, don't be just pestering your doctor to get an antibiotic. You know, just uh, eat healthy, get some rest, and try to recover on your own. If you don't, then you go to the doctor. Um, another thing that we can do is we, we got to stop feeding it to cattle um, and, and to livestock. We need to be prudent there as well, where we need to only be giving... I mean, livestock, they are a... a uh, you know they're precious. I, I grew up on a dairy farm, so you know when a cow gets sick, that's that's money that's we're not able to get because that milk can't be used because it's sick. So you want to get them back up on their feet, and antibiotics is a way to do that. But at the same time, we have to be prudent. Um, we can't be giving them, you know, preemptive uh, antibiotic shots just just to keep them from getting sick, which will actually hurt them in the long run because their immune system won't be uh, won't be strong enough. We need to more likely uh, develop vaccines and uh, um, other preventative measures for uh, for the livestock and, and just veterinary industry. Um, another thing that uh, we can do is practice good hygiene ourselves. Uh, the the less you're getting sick, the less likely you're going to need to get antibiotics. So, uh, you know, if keeping cuts clean, things like that, keeps infections. Another major source of uh, antibiotic resistance is actually pharmaceutical companies. Um, and I think the EPA and, and FDA probably, if they're not regulating this, they're working to. Uh, they were finding that antibiotics were being dumped down the drain and they were making it into the water systems and that was actually uh, causing you know antibiotic resistance in those water systems that were downstream of these pharmaceutical companies so that's a that's another thing that we can do is is uh, tighten regulations on release of antibiotics um, one that I actually didn't know till tonight my wife told me was that uh, so Antimicrobial soaps used to be a big thing. In 2016, the FDA banned a lot of the antimicrobial uh, things that were in antimicrobial soaps. You'll notice that you don't see those ever, or if hardly at all. Um, and that's because, uh, for the same reason, they were actually making uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And... Uh, just to kind of like a, a little side note here, guys, um, the way soaps work is they're not killing any germs on your skin. Uh, that's not how soap works. Soap uses molecules that are called, they're amphiphilic, amphiphilic, okay? That means that they like molecules like water that are polar, water's a polar molecule, and they also like nonpolar molecules like lipids and fats, okay? Um, that's why 
like dish soap. That's why it can get grease off of your pans is because it can be soluble in water, but also can bind to greases and fats and things. Okay. And the way this plays into germs is that germs are made of, uh, you know, their their cellular membranes are lipids and and fats. So the soap can help stick to those bacteria and help wash them off of your skin. So, uh, and and foam helps with that. They found that you know, uh, foam helps to raise the bacteria off of your skin and helps to wash it away. And another thing that soap helps do is it helps, it makes you wash longer because it sticks to your skin. You can, it takes longer to get it off than just rinsing your hands. So people actually wash their, uh, their hands longer. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how soap works. And they found that adding antimicrobials to it, it doesn't necessarily help. Um, especially when like people are, a lot of times people try to wash their hands a lot in a flu season. Flu is a virus. So, uh, it, it, antimicrobials don't help against a virus. Just washing your hands does because viruses are made of the same type of things that amphiphilic uh, molecules, like in soap, will help wash off. So, uh, washing your hands and not, it's, it's just kind of interesting that they, uh, that the FDA banned my antimicrobials in soaps. So, yeah, but still wash your hands, uh, and just that was just a little side note to help you understand how uh, soap actually works. It's it's not actually killing any bacteria; it's just helping them actually get off your skin. Um, a few other things uh, that we can do is we can further research. Um, here's where I'm going to get into my research a little bit. So uh, I study Shigella. is uh, it's a bacteria that causes bacillary bacillary dysentery. Sorry, I'm kind of a mush mouth. It's late. Um, which means basically uh, you poop blood till you die. Okay, you have you have diarrhea and it causes hemorrhaging of your bowels, and so you can you can die from it. Um, Treatable with normal antibiotics right now, but it is slowly becoming resistant. So uh, we're we're studying it. A few of the other uh, bacteria that we work with that so we work with what's called the type three secretion system. It's uh, how bacteria secrete proteins to help invade your cells. So they have like a little needle that uh, pokes into your cells and helps them to invade that cell and then for, make more Shigella. Um, lots of bacteria actually use these type 3 secretion systems, uh, including Salmonella, E. coli, Yersinia, that one that caused the plague, um, and and a few other ones. So there, there's actually quite a few. And we study this system, and we're trying to regulate this uh, type 3 secretion system, because if you can regulate uh, this system and not actually kill the bacteria it's there's not going to be the selective pressure you know if you're killing bacteria the bacteria that survive are the ones that proliferate if you don't kill them they can still proliferate but they're not uh, they're not virulent meaning they're they're not pathogenic so we're trying to find ways to regulate this secretion system to make it not virulent per se but still allow the bacteria to be alive and that way there's not selective pressure and we can and we can slow down antibiotic resistance a lot um, so that's just some of the the like the research that's going into it a lot of research needs to be done into actual antibiotics um, like I said it until just last year it'd been 30 years since a new class of antibiotics had been uh, had been discovered and so there's a, still a lot to be done. As as bacteria evolve, we need to keep evolving our antibiotics to keep fighting uh, these bacteria. So, yeah, that's uh, so. Those are some things that we can do 
to slow down antibiotic uh, resistance. So, um, yeah, guys, uh, in conclusion, uh, antibiotics, I'm, I'm not saying they're bad at all. Antibiotics, once again, the one of the greatest uh, discoveries and achievements of mankind. If it wasn't for antibiotics, our, our world would be a very different place. Uh, most of the people you know wouldn't exist. Um, whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, uh, they probably wouldn't. Um, our population would be a lot lower, and uh, a lot of your loved ones probably uh, would die if you know if if you did know your loved ones, they would die of some infection a lot. So, guys, it's antibiotics, beautiful thing, but we need to be prudent with them. We need we need to be careful with them. Um, we need to not use them as a preventative measure, but as a uh, let's let's actually like more of a last resort, and not necessarily a last resort, but more of a serious resort. And like take, you know, be treat them seriously. They're they're not just a supplement. They're not, you know, they're not like Tylenol or or Advil that you just take for your little symptoms. No, it's something that you take if your own immune system cannot handle the 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 infection that's that's starting to take over your body so that's that's what I'm saying is we need to be prudent with these antibiotics so guys uh, that that's it for the the episode now I do have a few things that I want to talk about uh, number one I hope this episode sounds better. Uh, I actually got an audio editing uh, program on my computer so that I can, you know, tune out a lot of the background. Uh, I, I was listening to past episodes, and you can hear things in the background. You can hear my computer's fan going the whole time. So I'm I'm hoping that that's uh, edited out, and it sounds a lot more crisp. Um. So yeah, let me know if. If, uh, if it sounds better to you guys, I hope it does. A few other things. Uh, I actually, this, this next little segment, uh, if you have the Anchor app, you can send me video messages with your questions and stuff. I actually got my first one this last week talking about the climate change episode. So, uh, I'm going to play that for you and uh, so if you guys send me video messages I'll play them and uh, if I'll, I'll listen to them first and I'm just going to play them if you're saying whatever you know you some of you dipsticks are going to say um, so we'll I'll play them if they're appropriate and uh, we'll answer those questions so uh, our first one came from uh, Grant Lamont he's one of the, the faithful listeners, old teammate of mine. So uh, here's his. So there have been some pretty scary claims over the past week or two about how much Earth's temperature is going to change in the coming years. I don't remember any of the details, but um, how long until the, organis the organisms we depend on start dying off and we start facing a serious crisis. I mean, is that more likely to happen in our lifetime, or is it more likely that a volcanic eruption pulls off the Earth and <laughs> that's what causes a big mortality crisis? So Grant asks a great question. You know, when when is this stuff going to affect us? When are the organisms that we depend on, you know, our, our crops, our... Uh, you know, the, even even farther down than that, like some of the microorganisms that we depend on, bees, you know, things that are uh, pollinating for us, those things can all be affected by uh, climate change. And personally, I don't, this is just personal opinion, I don't think I will see the effects in my lifetime, but my children and my children's children, I think, 
will, you know, my grandkids are going to really see the effects if we don't take some uh, drastic action. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to definitely see some of the effects. We're going to see the extreme weather. Um, we're going to see, you know, the beginnings of the increase of extinctions. But I really think uh, probably post post my life is is when things will get really serious, and and that's why a lot of people don't really care. Is that you know it's not going to affect my life. It's but it's going to affect your kids. What kind of world are we leaving for you know our kids? So those are the type of things uh, we need to think about. So Grant, thanks for uh, thanks for sending me a voice message. Anybody. Please send me a voice message, uh, or or you can send me, you know, if, if you just have a regular question, you don't want to send in your voice or whatever, don't want to, you know, if, if you're uncomfortable with that, send me an email with your questions or, or your concerns or whatever. Um, it's just carpoolchemistry at gmail.com. I've had a few people uh, send me emails. Uh, I love it. So um, let me, you know, shoot me an email. Tell me what you think. Tell me... Uh, you know, tell me, tell me what you don't like about uh, the podcast. Um, so a, a few things that I'm going to throw out there that I'm thinking about doing, um, and, I, and I would love feedback on what you guys think I should do. Uh, number one, video, um, which means I'd actually have to probably put on some clothes. I'm sitting here in my underwear. Um, so video, like filming me doing the podcast um, another thing that was suggested to me today uh, by one of my good buddies was that I need to have another person on here, and and that's definitely coming in the future episodes. Is there's there's going to be a, a person that I'm going to interview, whether that's my wife who who has a lot of uh, a lot of expertise in nutrition and uh, dietetics, or uh, I also have quite a few friends that are, are chefs and have, have other expertise and maybe even a few of my colleagues that are uh, you know in the biochemistry field especially when we do like a CRISPR episode one of the professors at USU is uh, is a CRISPR expert so we'll uh, we might have him on or or at least do a recording that where I ask him some questions and so so you guys can hear somebody's voice besides you know my my boring voice um so yeah send me some updates let me know what you think um tell your friends about this so i i hope we can keep growing it um i may if i can uh i mean if if you guys think it'd be a good idea to have my wife as a as like a co-host or something totally down for it i have no problems with that i don't think she does either Maybe we can even get my son on someday, you know? He can be a, a co-host or my dog or I don't know. So, so yeah, shoot shoot me some emails. Let me know or send me some voice messages. Like I said, I'll, I'll put them on here um, as long as they're appropriate. So, yeah. Um, with that, guys, be on the lookout on the Facebook page for a uh, Facebook page, just Carpool Chemistry. Be on the out on the out. Blah, blah, be on the lookout, like I said, it's late, Mushmouth, for another poll. I'm going to let you guys decide the next episode. So uh, I'm hoping to get that done soon so that I can uh, get some research done on that episode. Just to let you guys know, and like climate change last week and evolution tied, so I, I chose to do climate change. I wasn't ready for evolution probably going to do that one over Thanksgiving break just to let you guys know so uh, even if evolution wins this next one I probably won't do it um, until I'm ready I really want to put a lot of research into that one have my stuff straight so that that one can be uh, a really good episode so yeah if you have any topic suggestions shoot them my way uh, and we'll uh, we'll get them on here so guys I, I hope to see you next time and uh, this has been Antibiotics and antibiotic resistance on carpool chemistry. Thanks, guys. See you next week.